in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you can be so everyone will Back on the Code of Man podcast, welcome all who are listening to this episode. This is episode number 28. I checked, I double-checked that today before we started so I wouldn't mess it up this time. Mm. 28. You know what that means? It's a lot of animal crackers. <laughs> Speaking of animal crackers. Oh, yeah, still celebrating. Plenty, plenty of, of animal crackers remain, but I want to say this. Someone victory. has been eating animal crackers because that tub's getting low. Don't be pointing any. at me. I've not eaten any of those. I'm not the only other one things. to be in here. Anyway, we are back here for episode 28 and part four of this discussion on Christians and politics. And we've spent three episodes on the subject of Christians and politics. And now here we sit a little over a week away from election day, and we're recording part four. And our focus for this final piece is going to be to come back really to where we, we started all of this, so to speak. And you may recall that we began this entire discussion with Jesus standing in front of Pontius Pilate. And I want to go back to that passage in a moment, and we're going to read that and, and kind of start our discussion there. We're going to basically take today and look at different passages of Scripture from the Gospels where Jesus is speaking to or addressing the subject of government and politics and try to shed some light on that, just really just converse about it a little bit. Let's glean what we can. What I want to do is recap what we discussed in the these first three parts of this, and then we'll go into this closeout today. One of the things we've talked about over the last three episodes is the difference between politics and government. And if we, as we have discussed that, and you've been thinking about that, what are you seeing as you pay attention to what's going on? I mean, the, the difference between politics and government. We have very little government and a whole lot of politics. Yeah. The actual nuts and bolts of what we are electing folks to do and what they are portraying that they're doing is vastly different. You know, we've got a whole lot of games that's being played. And, I mean, I, I guess there is work getting done, but you have to, you really have to wade through so much just surface-level game playing to get down to anything substantial that's getting accomplished. Yeah, politics is plays on our emotions. It's almost like facts don't matter. Yeah, you know the 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 government is is what you said. It just history doesn't matter. Um, failures don't matter. But hey, I can talk my way out of anything. I can you know I know when to cry. I know when to laugh. I know when to. It's, so it's it, a mind game. It's performance. Right. A lot of celebrity status in politics and government today. Well, even you say the words celebrities, you think about that. That's politics 101 right there, bringing in someone, and not disrespecting. We all like to be entertained and so forth, but bringing in somebody who, you know, bounces a ball for a living or sings or dances or pretends, and now they're going to give the American people advice on how to live their everyday life and who they need to vote for and actually, 
you know, feel like they have a relevant opinion on it and persuade the public who to vote for. That's, that's yeah, part of it. And I think, to be fair to that, because that point, we, we, if we think about that, to be fair to that, their opinion is as worthwhile as mine. Sure, sure. But I think sure. what you're pointing out is the elevation of somebody yes. because they're a celebrity. Right. That we all need to just fall in line and follow what they say. And, right. and the difference that they're not censored but our pulpits are, you know, and because of that, that whole 501c3, you know, Johnson Amendment that kind of gets hung out there, you know. You've done your reading. Oh, yes. This guy's been Googling like crazy. And also <laughs> social media platforms. Yeah. Think of it that way. 20 years ago, a celebrity may speak out. Who knows who sees it? But now you have Twitter. You have Instagram. You have all these outlets. You don't even have to get on national TV and get a spot to talk about politics. You tweet it out. Hundreds and thousands of people are now persuaded who to vote for. Another thing we talked about in the previous episodes, and we'll come back to before this is over, is to what extent Christians should be involved. That's been a, we all agree, and I think most of our folks that would listen and and the people that are like-minded would agree that Christians not only should or can vote, but should vote. Yes. And we're going to encourage that today. I believe that there is plenty of scriptural precedence for that. Uh, and then we, we, I think, you know, we all agree that praying, we, we should be praying about our government that is commanded in Scripture. And I don't believe we do that enough. No. Praying for our nation and for this election that's coming up. And I think we've just got to help one another remember to do that. And then we talked a lot about Christians serving in the government. And, you know, how far can that go? How far should a Christian be willing to go down that path? Which was an interesting conversation. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this is all temporary, meaning that, yes, we want the best for for now, and we want to continue to live in liberty and have the freedoms that we have, but we should not treat it as if this is, you know, this is as good as it's going to get for us. At the end of the day, you know, we're citizens of another country. That's what I'm trying to say there. We also talked about how much government is too much government. We, we dabbled in that a little bit, and I think that's going to come up again today as we look at some things that Jesus says. We've already, we've already touched number four then. So we, yeah. we've been talking about, and we kind of wrapped up with this really in the last one, but we are to ultimately place our hope where? And, you know, you introduced that already. We keep our hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to lay aside everything else that we've talked about as far as, and and what I mean by that is we've had various ideas of how we could close this discussion out, but I think the best thing we could do is go straight to the words of Jesus, because if you want to have a Christian view of politics, then you really need to get the Christ view of politics. Primarily, we're going to focus on five key texts out of the Gospels where Jesus speaks to human government and also the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and then really even this thing of politics by the way we've defined it, because what we've said is politics originally the word had the idea of doing what was best for the people. Yeah. And we know today that's not what politics that fell means. Flat. Yeah. 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 That, something something went horribly wrong, by the way. So I, I believe that we can we can lift up today the fact that Jesus is going to point some of this out. There's some dangers in it. But let's start with John eighteen. This is where we began our discussion uh, in episode one. And I want to just read this again, and then we're going to talk about it. Then Pilate, verse 33 through 38 is what I'm going to read. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? Tell thee of me. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I want to open up the discussion about this first passage where we have Jesus talking about government here. And what, what you're seeing here is the collision of the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom mm -hmm. of God. And the two words that we lifted out of this way back at the first part of this discussion, you see here two important key terms, kingdom and truth. And that really laid a foundation for this whole discussion. But as you read that, what are, you, what are we learning here from Jesus about government, politics? What do you see that relates to the current age that we're in, the time we're in right now? I find a hesitancy for Jesus to fight for this current kingdom. You know, he makes this statement, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. And I think we draw from that the fact that the servants of Christ were not fighting. They were not literally taking up arms to forcibly change the government and force the kingdom of Christ. We see a lesson that Jesus is teaching saying, look, this, this, isn't, this isn't the time. This isn't what we're supposed to be about. There are other ways to go about living for my kingdom, and physical fighting is not one of them. And, but as we stand for truth and stand for what's right, there's a difference in being heralds of the truth and being rogue vigilantes who are trying to force something that even Jesus himself was saying this is not the time for. Well, it's definitely conflict here. I mean, you see sure. that. You see conflict. Here Pilate represents the Roman government, and you know they're, they're, they're over these Jews, and the Jews have always had kings, you know, and they're now under the authority of this Roman Empire. Jesus represents something that is completely out of this world yet has invaded this world. Right. So there's definitely a conflict. And there was a bit of a peace at this time, but it was a forced peace. And when Jesus said in verse 37 that you read there, says that everyone that is, is of the truth heareth my voice. And speaking of the kingdom, thinking of us for a minute, yes, we may be one nation under God, but this is not a theocracy. This is, this is nothing, but when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, it'll truly be a theocracy. That is real peace. And I think that the difference there with, with politics and our government, there's only so much of a peace that we can experience here, but the only way we're going to find true peace is through, is through him and looking toward his kingdom. And peace, that is a word that is thrown around today, mm -hmm. but nobody's really contending for peace in no. this worldly kingdom. Mm -hmm. no. it, it's all about stirring up your side against the other side. Right. And I, I love that, as you point that part out, I see there's this, there's this enlistment going on by Jesus because he says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And 
what we see as representatives of the kingdom of God in this modern time and in America and government and the politics of our time is that our responsibility is to keep lifting up the truth. We are to repeat the truth that Jesus gave us. And the Holy Spirit comes to help us remember that. And the more we saturate ourselves in his truth, the more we then go out and share that. I mean, that's what's going to change, not the world, but individual hearts. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's the key, the individual hearts. While, while there is a the conflict that's here, we almost have this, this militant mentality with, with so many Christians today that I am being a champion for the truth. I am taking a stand. I am representing the kingdom of Christ. But in so doing, because they are not living out the truth of Christ in their day-to-day life, they're, they're champions for Christ on Facebook. They're champions for Christ in their political stance and in their uh, almost their anger and that they are not living out the cause of Christ. And so they are missing the opportunity to truly impact the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of this whole thing of politics and, and all that. It's a fight worth fighting, but it really, your motives have a lot to do with yeah. it. If you are truly with a kingdom mindset, your heart is truly focused on eternity and what we have been given authority by Jesus to do. He gave us authority to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If that is our focus, it's going to be a lot different than someone who they're maybe a carnal Christian or an unbeliever who is a patriot. Their focus is on the here and now. This is, this is their heaven, a person who is not a believer um, they're a patriot, and, and they're all for one nation under God. They're, they're, but this is as good as it's going to get for them. So when they're fighting that fight you're talking about, their focus is, hey, i got to make America, i got to make this as best as it can be for me versus looking. What are we more passionate about, our personal freedoms and rights as Americans or the liberty that is in the gospel? faithful Christian people, which one of those categories do you think they would sacrifice the most for? I think it is so easy to take for granted our liberties in Christ and, you know, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free because it's almost like that goes without saying and it's out of sight, out of mind. Okay, yeah, I've been given liberty over sin. Yeah, I've been given liberty, you know, to, to have communion with the Father, but that stuff's not going away. However, my liberties as Americans can be taken away tomorrow. Therefore, I've got to be just so intense and hold on to this. And we lose sight of the fact that all of this is going away anyways, and nothing can diminish the preciousness of the liberty that we have in Christ. This would be a good place to say that we are not saying retreat from no. you know, standing for our freedoms and believing the Constitution of mm-hmm. the United States. It's a, it's the best. We have the best, you know. I mean, Absolutely. every so many other countries would love to have the kind of government we have. It's certainly not perfect. That's why we're having this conversation. But we're not saying retreat from our duties and responsibilities and caring. We're not saying retreat from loving your country. That's what patriotism is. We, yep. we believe in patriotism. What we are saying is it's time for us to refocus Yes. On the priority of his kingdom versus the kingdom of this world or the government that we that we dwell in here. I believe one of the greatest tests of this modern political movement in America, as far as the church is concerned, is is to be able to answer the question that was posed by 
Christian Law Association in, in one of their recent uh, newsletters in which they asked the question, if tomorrow America canceled church altogether, would you have the fortitude to stand? Just a simple question. And that is not, will you have the fortitude to stand up and protest and march and demand your rights? It is, they were, they were saying, will you have the fortitude to stand in Christ, to press on for the kingdom, for truth? Our founding fathers... Most of them. I don't know their hearts, obviously. The majority of them were deists. And yes, one nation under God. And we have this wonderful you know, constitution. And we have this wonderful heritage of being a Christian nation, being founded as a Christian nation. But that question you ask, it goes back to that. The fact that they were deists, meaning they believed in God, mm-hmm. but they believed that God is way up in heaven on the throne. I'm a theist, meaning, yes, God is up in heaven. He's on the throne. But he's also a personal God. He's 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 close. I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. He's he's my he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So where I'm going with this is as a child of God, as a Christian, as one who's redeemed, as a theist, I have a close and personal savior. That's the determining factor of that question, which is more important. Yes, I'm a patriot, but I need to have more of a kingdom mindset. I think our takeaway from it is that there is a there's a clear conflict that's displayed here as Jesus stands before Pilate, and he makes the distinction. Now, by the way, Jesus is submitting mm-hmm. to the yep. government, yep. which is we can talk about more with a couple other of these passages that are coming up, but there's definitely a conflict. But what we're being called to by Jesus in this passage is to make sure we don't lose our focus, that our kingdom, his kingdom, is not of this world, and we are to first and foremost be followers of him, his example and we know that in this dispensation of the church age, we're looking. Our redemption draweth nigh. We're yes. looking up. We're, we're longing for his return. So that's where our heart and hope should be focused. Let's go to the next passage, Luke chapter 13. Now, some of the folks that have maybe hung with us this far that are more leaning toward the, I don't know, guys, I think we need to, we need to get up and we need to let, let the government hear from us. Well, you'll like this passage. This is for you, okay? Because it does show, I believe this passage will show us that there is a limit to how far we submit to government when it is wrong, okay? So Luke 13, and I'm going to read verse 31 and 34. So Luke 13, I'm going to begin reading verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, that's good context to remember, saying unto him, Get thee out. And depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. I almost see the political attitude of these guys coming out right there. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Here we have a passage where Jesus is being brought a message. Herod's after you. You you better get out of here. He's <laughs> he's going to he's going to string you up, man. Go tell that fox. What was he saying? I mean, when you read that, what do you what do you sense and what do you hear when Jesus responds that way? He he's got something bigger than the current picture. It it's been prophesied. It's it's forever settled in heaven and they're trying to threaten them with politics and be indirect and use passive aggression and 
and they're being in, you know, they're, they're just attacking them. And he's straight to the point here. He uses temperance. He goes straight to the point. What does the well, term fox mean? I mean, see, I, I think it's, it's indicative that Jesus acknowledged Herod's character. He submitted yeah. to the government. He, he submitted to the authorities. But he wasn't snowed by anything that Herod was presenting. Right. There was a limit to what he would do. But he had him marked all along that I'll trust Herod about as far as I can throw him. I know what he's ultimately about. I know the games that he's playing. And you go back and tell him, I'm not scared of his games. I'm not scared of what it is that he's trying to peddle. I think the lesson is submit to the authority, respect the authority, but don't buy in so much that you know you get those blinders over your eyes of the greatness of a snake in the grass. Yeah. Nevertheless, right? That's what he said. He's saying, I understand the role of the government, but I've got the more important thing to do. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. This was the instruction Jesus gave to the disciples. And that, that, just, that fits this whole mm-hmm. aspect of how we respond to a government that is corrupted by politics. I mean, Jesus never casts down or, or casts stones at government. I mean, Jesus is the creator. He ordained the government. And he's not casting on the government, but he is recognizing the character of the politician. Yeah. I think something interesting in this passage, too, is who appears to be aligning with the government in this resistance of Jesus? Hey, easy. You're getting ready to step on the toes of a lot of Christendom right here. On both sides of the fence, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But you see it, right? You see these don't, Pharisees. Ahead, don't pull no punches. Yeah, they're, they're aligning. What do they want to do? They want to get on the side of the government when it helps them get rid of Jesus. They want to get on the side of the government when it helps them get rid of this fruitcake who is focused on some kingdom that doesn't fit their perspective of what the true religion is. And uh, Jesus will have none of that either. And that's a good point that you're bringing up because a lot of the Pharisees were all on board with Jesus to begin with when they were thinking, okay, yeah, we're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to set up the return of Jewish supremacy it was it was all a game to them as well. Whichever person, whether it was Herod, whether it was Caesar, whether it was Jesus, whichever one fit their narrative the best, he was it. And then as soon as that leader got out of line of the narrative that they were wanting to follow after, now all of a sudden, oh, well, we have to submit to the authority that's in place. Is it all right if I, uh, if I remember Billy Graham? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Now... Let me make let me make a couple points. I want to, I want to share something Billy Graham said, but Billy Graham was often ostracized, criticized, demonized by both sides of the religious aisle. Yes. The super ultra liberals say he was too conservative, and the super fundamentalists say he was too liberal. Liberal, yeah. Billy Graham said this. This was 1981. Now you know what was going on in 1981. We're talking. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about religious alignment with government. In 1981, enough said, those that don't know, do your research. But here's what Billy Graham said in 1981. I don't want to see religious bigotry in any form. It would disturb me if there was a wedding between the religious fundamentalist and the political right. The hard right has no interest in religion except to manipulate it. Mm. I, I see that in this. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, so what's the takeaway of Luke 13 here? Submission to evil authority only goes so far. 
I think as Christians, as we talk about our view of politics and the government, it's, it's, it's okay to remember that. Look, when you, when you know that your government is infringing upon your personal freedoms and liberties, it's okay to disagree with that and to resist that in the, the right way. We resist that by our voice, by our vote. What we do not do is take on the attitude of a bunch of rogue rebel. Yeah, because ultimately that's what Jesus said. You know, hey, you go tell him, I've got stuff to do. And then he went on about doing his business. He didn't use the platform that he had to yell and scream and holler against Herod and raise up a revolt and a revolution. I'm almost of, I'm almost of the mind that Jesus believed in the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's go to the next passage then. Yes. Matthew 17. Now, this one's fun. Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. And when they, Jesus and the disciples, when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. (laughs) I love Peter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, do you get it? I I think Peter's like... uh, in his mind, he's thinking, I, 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 I don't know. I, yes. <laughs> yes. And then That's he, what it sounded like. Yeah. Yes. And then he runs back to the house, and he wants to <laughs> find Jesus. Oh, and, no, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is where my imagination kicks in, and I thought there was a verse there where Peter runs in and says, Hey, Jesus, do you pay taxes or not? <laughs> yeah. Hold on, guys. <laughs> but Jesus prevented him, saying, Hey, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. This is a great story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What are we learning here about Jesus' view of politics, government, and our response to it? I guess it's obvious we could say the question is out there. Well, would Jesus pay taxes? Yes. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> well, clearly he, he's, he's paying taxes here, so I think we can take that one off the table. You know, he's going to pay his tribute money. Tribute money is a tax, all right? And he's going to pay that. But I think when you get down into what we're learning here, it's the question he poses to Peter, which is when these governments of the world tax who are they taxing the children or strangers when i read it i look at it like human government ordained by god therefore it is god that is giving it its authority that human government government taxes strangers those that are outside of the family of god when we are saved born into the family of god no longer should we need the lordship and the authority of human government because now God, our Heavenly Father, is our authority. The Christian who is walking with the Lord, abiding in Christ, doesn't need human government to keep him in check, make sure he's doing the right things, make sure that he's doing this, because he answers directly to God. But in order to keep our testimony, lest we just be parading around as a bunch of anarchists, we still willingly submit under the human government, pay the taxes to the human government. Even though we have our freedom by God the Father, we still submit ourselves to that 
so that we have the opportunity to, to maintain our testimony. One thing about the Bible that always need to do, compare Scripture with Scripture. And what Jesus says here, he says, lest we should offend them. He's telling them to, you know, to pay that tribute money, and you, you read the verses there, but be a law-abiding citizen, right? Live in peace. Be submissive to government as long as it does not interfere with... Don't poke the bear. Right. Or the donkey, or the elephant. Or the rhino. Or the rhino. Matthew 17. So the point then I think that we're saying is is that we have, we have liberty in the kingdom. There's a liberty that is ours. Which, again, Jesus says, so we don't offend them. But I think, what that, I think the reflection of that statement is, why should we be offended? Mm-hmm. Why yes. are we so easily offended yes. by what the kingdoms of this world are doing? Goodness. Now, let me, let me respond to my own statement right there, because I don't want there to be misunderstanding. Issues matter. Mm-hmm. Moral issues matter. Abortion is an evil. We are opposed to that. Yes, absolutely. God's Word is opposed to that. Yes. We believe in the sanctity of human life. We believe yes. in the sanctity of God-ordained marriage. But look, we're not going to be offended, derailed, and lose focus on our agenda. And our agenda as God's people is not a political agenda. It's a gospel agenda. Right. Jesus said, in a sense, he said, look, we're free. But pay the tax. Let's don't poke the bear. Let's just do, let's do that. And then let's be about our business that we, we're here to do. Right. All right, Matthew 20. <laughs> I'm going to read verse 20 and 28. Now listen to this. I've got I to gotta read all up for the context. Then came to him, Jesus, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, that's James and John. Their mom comes with, their, with her sons in tow, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Now I want to stop right here and say one thing about Mary. I believe that her heart was in the right place. Because there's one thing you see about her that we've been talking about this whole podcast. She's kingdom focused. Mm-hmm. Now, she's getting a little bit out of line when she's asking that her two boys get the preeminent spots in the kingdom. But at least she's kingdom focused. Here we read on. Verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. He saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But the set on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, now this is the point I'm getting to, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Who do they think they are? Jesus called them unto him and said, Watch this. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them? But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me open this one up, because there's a reason I brought this one into it. If I were to put it in one statement, I would say, I believe we learn right there in that, that, little, that little scene that there's no place for politics in the church. Mm-hmm. Because what you see right there is an exact replication of politics going on among the disciples. 
James and John are vying for their positions. They want the chief seats. They want to get chosen, elected to be in these spots. And the others get mad and furious, and there's this contention that rises up among them. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you recognize what you're doing in the Gentile world? They are always trying to exercise authority over one another. Who wants to be top dog? Who wants to rule? Who wants to be chief in the land? And they've lost the whole point of it that the greatest is the one who serves. And what's happened a lot in this day we're living in, we have allowed politics to so infiltrate the mind and the heart of God's people that in church we are filled with political angst and indignation, but we not only argue about our political agenda, we think church should operate the same way the government does. Yep. I tell you what, in the American Western church culture, we have turned church into a reflection of what our American government has become. Yep. We're talking about a servant here. So each gospel is written to a, a specific group. Matthew's written... Uh, He's writing to the Jews, presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Luke writes to the Greeks, presenting Jesus as the Son of Man. John writes to the world, presenting him as the Son of God. Mark, the Gospel of Action, 16 chapters. We believe that Mark got his Gospel from Peter and his doctrine from Paul. This is pretty much Peter's story, right? Who does he present Jesus as to the political figure, which is the Romans? He presents him as a servant. There's no genealogy, but he proves himself as a servant. So when you said servant, you know, thinking about the Romans and their politics, how did Jesus, how did he present himself as a servant? He was willing to serve. So if we take our view of how we should conduct ourselves, Jesus was not political at all. No. His whole mantra, his whole focus was he's going to do the will of the Father and he's going to do that by serving. He said, I come to, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. If we're going to, Christians are going to be in public service, that should be the mindset of the Christian. Absolutely. Forget the whole thing of battling your way to the top and setting yourself up for power, career, riches. But if you can't keep a servant mentality, stay out of the, the public office. And yeah. the one who, who did prove himself as a servant he came with a duty to fulfill. He had a purpose. It was not, as you just said, uh, to get to get that place of power here on earth, but he came to give his life, as he mentioned in the... And you know what's amazing, too? When you, you mentioned Peter and how influential he was with Mark and all that, but, you know, Peter... I know Paul had the his own confrontations with the government, but Peter wrote First Peter. First Peter should be the handbook of Christians on how to deal with government in the day we're living in because America is rapidly becoming the Rome of that century. All right, we got one more. It's the big one. We've been holding this one. All right, Matthew 22, verse 17. Here they come, verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? hypocrites. Love it. <laughs> Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these things, these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now you want to talk about the mic drop moment. <laughs> That's the mic drop moment of the political discussion right there. 
and and it is fitting that we that that's what we come to the close of this on because this is literally Jesus nailing it. This is like the Grand Slam home run, boom. So originally, when I when I when I put this one down, you know, one of the first things I think about here is taxes. Of course, that's the obvious thing. But we've already had that discussion. Jesus is paying taxes. What is it that Jesus is teaching us about government and the Christian view of government and politics? Be law-abiding citizens, and and this is this is the the main thing. This is why it's so important. The problem within the church today is not the government trying to take our rights away. It's the church not having the knowledge that we should have of our Bible. There are 30, 40-year Christians who have the knowledge equivalent, not to be disrespectful, but to an elementary Sunday school class. And what happens is that line between being a law-abiding citizen and rendering to God the things that are God is blurred because we don't have a true knowledge of the Bible. So as long as what the government is asking does not interfere with our duty as a child of God, does not get us out of his fellowship or out of his will, we should be law-abiding citizens and live peaceably and have that light to shine of Christ to the world. Say, I I got no problem paying taxes. Here you go. That's fine. But, as you alluded to earlier, abortion um, and all all those ethical issues. Yeah, hold on. Time out. Let's raise our hand. Let's say something. Yeah, because that goes against our Bible. So know know your Bible. Have a knowledge of the Word of God and know the difference between being a law-abiding citizen and being rebellious. Absolutely. Notice this, too. In the earlier one, uh, the one we were reading earlier about uh, from Luke 13, mm-hmm. notice how the Pharisees were aligning themselves with Herod. So they're Right. But in this one, they are not aligning with Caesar. What they're trying to do is test Jesus. They're trying to pit Jesus against Caesar. They're setting him up against it. So I want—I think it's important to see the Pharisees are picking and choosing the government they want to align with and live with and that they can accept, and that's important to them. Jesus is on neither side. He's on the kingdom side. But I think something very telling here is that what are they bringing out? They're concerned about the money. What he's pointing out is, is that they're, they're so worried about the stuff they're going to lose. Caesar doesn't have the right to take our stuff. Caesar doesn't have the right to ruin our lives. Caesar doesn't have the right to take our privileges. That's what the Pharisees were eat up with. And Jesus is saying to them, look, 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 look. This thing right here, whose picture's on that? If that's what Caesar's content with, let Caesar have this piece of junk metal. I mean, this stuff's dug up out of the earth. What difference does it make? Let him have it. Give Caesar what Caesar deserves, what he asks for, and you give God what God deserves, what God asks for. Right there is a good place to transition to a whole new series of discussion on, you know, what are we to render to God? We've been talking about rendering to Caesar for a few episodes, but definitely we ought to be more concerned with how we're rendering to God. Yep. This, this passage of Scripture I read yesterday, and I'd like to close this discussion with what I think is a very encouraging passage because what we're, what we're after when all is said and done here is to remind ourselves, one another, and those who might listen along the way, God's in control. He rules over everything. And we have an election here in America and a week and a half or whatever it is. Of course, it may take three months to figure out who wins, but we have an election coming up. 
Now let me read this from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Here is Daniel, exiled, living under an authority that is godless, that is corrupt, that is wicked. Everything we don't like that our government may be doing or pushing for and the stuff that we have said is evil and immoral in our day, that was commonplace for these people. Daniel's focus was he blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, as we close this out, that passage would be worth going back to over and over between now and the election. And that God's the one in charge. He's the one in control. He's the one with all the wisdom. All these earthly nations, they'll, they'll pass away, mm. regardless if it's Babylon, the Persian Empire, the Greeks, whoever it is, they will pass away. They're as a drop in, in the bucket to the Lord. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who I want to align with, <laughs> the one that can see through all this mess and can give wisdom, shed light, lift us up above our problems, and put our heart in such a place that our focus is to bless his name and praise him. Well, until next time, this is Mike Overtrek Barnett thanking you for listening and saying happy trails to you. And this is Dr. Dean Roland Napoleon, and you are welcome. And Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying good morning, good afternoon, and good night. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning design. the best you